My name is Tommy Moore. I'm excited to be bringing you the word this morning. Uh, We are in week three of our sermon series called Long Road Home, and we're going through the Songs of Ascent. So if you're just joining us, the Songs of Ascent are these 15 psalms between Psalm 120 and Psalm 124, I'm sorry, 134, uh, which are pretty much sung kind of like a Spotify road trip playlist uh, as Israel uh, made their way back to Jerusalem several times a year. And this pilgrimage was made over and over uh, because of what stood in Jerusalem. And what was in Jerusalem was the temple. It, it, was, it was a place to worship God for Israel. And it wasn't just a place to worship God. Jerusalem was, was home for them. Uh, it was where their family lived. It, it was where uh, people spoke their language. It was where they felt most culturally at home, where they felt the most culturally normal. And Jerusalem, for them, was where they had shalom. This is a word that we've been talking a lot about recently. It, it, shalom is talking about peace and wholeness and completeness. And so Jerusalem, to them, was home. It was home physically, it was home emotionally, it was home culturally, and it was home spiritually for Israel. And these pilgrimages uh, would have the Israelites traveling for days, sometimes weeks, from all over the Middle East. And, and in a day without airplanes or Amtrak or Uber, the journey was largely on foot. And it was really treacherous for them. And so along the way, they would sing songs. And it would be this carefully curated playlist, not just to help them pass time, which is what songs can be used for, but really to keep them vigilant, keep their hearts and their minds focused, keep their spirits and morale hopeful, and to keep them encouraged on the long road home every time they'd make the trek. So here we are in week three. We're at Psalm 122. I do encourage you, hop on the podcast, catch up a little bit. There is some context there. If you're listening to the other sermons, they're going to help you as we move forward in the Songs of Ascent. Um, I've loved the first two psalms. I, I don't think I've ever studied the psalms this closely. I've actually never preached on, this, uh, on a psalm before. So this has been really good for me. I hope it's been good for you. Uh, this one is my favorite psalm yet. So uh, not too much hype, but I'm pretty excited about it this morning. I also think it's an incredibly timely word for our church this morning, so we're just going to dive right in, starting with verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. So Psalm 122 is written by King David, the first king of Israel, and and in his opening line, what he's saying is, is when someone told me we're going to Jerusalem, uh, I was ecstatic, like I was pumped. And David was pumped at just the idea of going home to Jerusalem. And I'm willing to bet that there's a place in your heart that has you responding the same way when someone invites you to go to that place. I don't know where that is for you. Maybe it's Disney. Someone's like, hey, let's go to Disney. And you're like, yeah, let's go to Disney. Maybe it's the hangar, right? Like, let's go get some wings. And you're like, yeah, let's go to the hangar. Maybe it's the rock gym. Maybe it's like a concert. Or maybe somewhere geographically awesome, like, like the Grand Canyon, or like Halong Bay in Vietnam, or like the Colosseum in Rome, and someone invites you to that, you're like, yeah, let's go, let's pack our bags. I don't know where that place is for you. Maybe it's something like Target, I don't know, right? Target could be cool too. For me, though, it's Home Depot, right? I know, it's like really, I don't know why, I love Home Depot, I don't know what it is. Uh, when I'm working on a house project and I don't have the thing I need, I don't even get frustrated because it's an excuse to go to Home Depot. And look, I'm not like a particularly handy guy. I don't really like woodworking or like home projects. I I just love going to Home Depot. I love the smell of Home Depot. I love that Home Depot is like a huge building. It's a warehouse. I love how well lit it is. Like you're never like, man, it's too dark in here, which is like an older thing to like say when you're walking through a store. But I'm like, man, I don't have a hard time seeing anything I need in here. 
I love the power tools. I love like the lumber section that one third of Home Depot is just dedicated to stacks of wood, right? I love that everybody at Home Depot is on a mission, right? No one goes to just hang out at Home Depot. Everyone at Home Depot is like right in the middle of a project and like they need to get whatever they need to get in order to accomplish their mission. Like, I don't know why, but I love that. You walk around Home Depot and you're like, what's up? Like, I know you're in the middle of something just like I am and we can get through this together, right? It's awesome, and that's why I love Home Depot. So if you want to get me excited, say, Tom, you want to go to Home Depot? I'll be like, yes, let's go to Home Depot. David wasn't amped about going to Home Depot. He, he wasn't full of excitement because someone suggested to him, let's go to Disney, or let's go to the Apple Store in the Holyoke Mall. Verse 1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. See, that's what Jerusalem was, not just a city, but a city built with the temple where God resided right at the center of the city. The, the temple was the dwelling place of God. It was God's house. And that was the reality for them. And that reality had significant implications spiritually, but also physically for the city that housed the temple. Which brings us back to why David would jump at the idea of coming home to Jerusalem. See, Jerusalem was home in every sense of the word. The city represented not just a familiar, familiar place where people spoke his language or ate the food that he ate or wore the clothes that he wore. It was a place where he experienced true fellowship and community with those who worshiped God alongside him. It was also where he experienced true fellowship and community with God as well. And so it was, it was where he had shalom. It was where he had peace, completeness, wholeness across all levels of his human experience and his human existence. And so you've got to understand Jerusalem was like a slice of heaven. It was a picture of a restored and redeemed world, kind of likening back to uh, an unbroken and an untainted garden of Eden. Before sin entered the world, before the lies of Satan crept in, where there was shalom between Adam and Eve and between God and man. There was perfect fellowship, perfect community, unashamed, joyful, created order all around. That's why when someone suggested, hey, let's make a trip to the house of the Lord, David was like, yeah, let's go. Like, you get the potato chips, you get Red Bull, and I'll write a song that we can sing as we walk all the way there, right? Like, that's where David was at. And this wasn't just David's reaction. There was a consensus among all of Israel that Jerusalem was the place to be. And that's why you have these regular pilgrimages happening. That's why you have people trekking through deserts, traveling for days or weeks in the Middle Eastern sun, putting themselves in harm's way uh, through all the dangers that, that kind of hide and lurk in the hills. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago because they wanted to come home to the dwelling place of God. And they, and they were glad to do it, even at the mention of doing it. And so the question for us this morning is, are we glad to come home to the temple of the Lord? Are we glad? Some of you are like, yeah, I'd love to go to Jerusalem. Is this Tommy's way of announcing like the next mission trip for Mercy House? No, it's not. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, so what, what, what does going to the house of the Lord mean for us today if it doesn't mean us just hopping on an airplane and going to Jerusalem? In order, I think, for us to go forward and understand this, we do need to go back and try to understand what the temple of the Lord meant for David and for Israel. And so for us, as we read the Old Testament, the dwelling place of God was first in the tabernacle, which is kind of this giant tent, uh, and, 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 and then it was a, a more permanent temple that was built. And in both of those cases, it, it was a singular physical location where God chose to dwell. 
and what the existence of the temple, and, and even in how the temple was constructed, it communicated that it was a special, unique, holy place, very holy place where God would dwell among his people. What's beautiful about this is that God desired to be among his people in a very tangible, practical way. See, God is at, in all places at all times, but the temple was a place where he chose to, to dwell and to really make his home. So that's the house of the Lord as David understood it. But as you continue reading in the scriptures and into the New Testament, you see God taking it one step further from there. In the opening chapter of the Gospel of John, we see kind of the startling development. In, in the first verses, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so, quick crash course in John, the word, uh, the, the word is, is John's nickname for Jesus. And, and what he's articulating here is that Jesus, as, as part of the triune God, was present at the beginning, that he was with God, and he indeed was God. But then it gets a little bit crazier. Look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So God comes into the world, not just into some special, unique building, but into the flesh as a human in Jesus Christ. You can, you can think of this kind of like a mobile temple, but instead of people needing to purify themselves and prepare themselves uh, to, to, to enter into the, the, the temple to worship, God, uh, to worship God, Jesus as God comes out of the temple, and he interacts with people outside of the walls of holy Jerusalem. And this is like a pretty scandalous idea as you transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And this is what we talked about a couple of weeks, weeks ago, that, that God breaks down the walls of hostility that stood between us and him, and he extends shalom in the flesh as a human being. Jesus embraced children. He's taking naps on boats. He's touching and healing lepers. He's dwelling. He's making his home among unrighteous, unholy, broken, sinful men and women of the world. I mean, Jesus gave a kind of a whole new level of meaning to, to this name that was given to him, Emmanuel, which means God with us. But then God doesn't even stop their mercy house. In the tail passage of what we read a couple of weeks ago in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and this is in chapter 2, verse 19, it's going to be on your screens. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and the, and the saints and the members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The dwelling place of God is not in any individual structure or building. The dwelling place is not just earth as God entered into it from heaven to dwell among us. What Paul is saying here is that when you put your faith in Jesus, you become a member of the household of God. And what happens is that in Christ, uh, as the cornerstone of that household, God is joining together the family members uh, and, and, and building a place where God dwells. Mercy House, as you're sitting here, like, you are the dwelling place of God. Like, let that sink in for a second. Uh, that we, as a collective body, are being built together as a family where God is making his home. In us, not in this structural building, in us as a people. 
This reality is so exciting to us as a church that it's like in our very name and our church's tagline. So if you didn't know, this is Mercy House, like that's the name of our church, but the, 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 the tagline is Mercy House, a household of faith being built by the mercy of God. And so what this means each week as we gather together for worship on Sundays, we're doing so as the dwelling place of God. We're not the only ones who are a dwelling place for God. We're not the only ones that are gathering together. Millions of people all over the world are coming together as a holy temple of the Lord and worship. But each week then, we're on this miniature pilgrimage as Christians, just, just like Israel, to journey on the long road here to Amherst, Massachusetts, in this little church, back to Shalom, back to the house of the Lord. And so I'm going to go back to my question. Are we glad at the idea of coming to the temple of the Lord each week? Like when your friend or your roommate or your spouse, maybe your parent, maybe your child says, hey, let's go to church tomorrow. Like what's your heart response to that statement? And be honest. Not, you don't have to be honest with me. Be honest with yourself as you answer that question. Maybe you are like David. Maybe you're just absolutely amped every week. That like Sunday morning, Sunday as a day is the highlight of your week because you do get to come here. You do get to catch up with your friends. You do get to worship God and hear the word and sing songs. And and this is a highlight for you each week. Maybe you're kind of neutral about it. Coming to church on Sunday, it's kind of like going to the grocery store. Um, It's not the most fun thing to do with your time, but like you know you probably should do it. And you might get something good out of it when you come anyways. Uh, and once you're done, you can kind of go back to whatever else you have planned for the day. Like maybe that's kind of your disposition toward church. Maybe for some of us, coming to church is kind of like going to the dentist. And I'm not talking about some of you who weirdly like sitting in a chair and having your teeth drilled into you. Like that this is something that is undesirable for you right now as you sit here. Maybe even painful for you. I, I'm fully aware that there are some in this room who just don't want to be here right now who are watching the clock, kind of wondering, how long is this going to go on for? Others of us might be sad. Others of us might be hurt or angry. And sitting here listening and being a part of this is hard to do right now. I've been there. I've experienced all of these reactions to coming to church, reactions of my heart as someone said, hey, let's go to church tomorrow. Like I've, I've been at each of those places. So no matter where your heart toward church is this morning, whether your disposition is neutral, ambivalent, whether you're angry, upset, sad, or just happy to be here, I want you to know, like, I'm glad that you are here, Mercy House. I'm glad that you are sitting in the seat that you're sitting to, that that you're listening uh, along online. I think the reality, and we've talked about this, is that you could be anywhere right now. You could be doing anything else right now, but, but by the grace and mercy of God, he has brought you in all the craziness of this past week, all the personal and spiritual challenges that you experienced, all the wandering of your heart, all, all the tiredness, all of the exhaustion, the late nights of studying, the early mornings for work, the no sleep of having children, the painful conversations that you've had this past week, the, the hurtful experiences, the chronic pain or the illness, God has brought you back to the house of the Lord this morning. You're here. And so I'm glad that you're here, no matter how you feel about being here. So while our reaction to coming to church might vary, here's what we see in this psalm. That David's heart reaction at just the prospect of coming to the house of the Lord is one of gladness and of joy. That Israel's heart, uh, in general, as a community, reacted similarly in gladness and joy, joy while they made the pilgrimage back 
to the house of the Lord. And as we continue reading the song, David lays out for us reasons why we ought to have gladness in our hearts and joy at the idea of coming to the house of the Lord each morning. So let's read on, starting in verse 3. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. For David and for Israel, being in the house of the Lord brought joy, it brought gladness. And in these verses, we get a glimpse into what David saw and experienced as he looked at Jerusalem. That there was joy and gladness because Israel experienced three things together as a community when they came together inside the walls of Jerusalem. They experienced unity, they experienced diversity, and they experienced worship. The thing that David sings about uh, first here is unity, and they experience it together in Jerusalem. Look at verse 3. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. We've talked about how Israel is physically, culturally, and spiritually uh, a home, uh, at home in Jerusalem. And this wasn't just an individual experience, but it was a collective reality for everybody who would be in that city. And David says here in verse 3 that Jerusalem was built with this collective sense of community and unity in mind. That it was built as a city that is, that is bound firmly together. Jerusalem was built for unity. It was built for unity. In 2018, I went with my dad uh, and my soon-to-be uh, brother-in-law and Caitlin, my wife, to go see Tom Brady and the Pats play at Gillette Stadium against Kansas City. Uh, it was an incredible game. So the Pats won 43-40. to 40. Uh, it, it, they, they won with a walk-off field goal. It was Gronk's last season uh, as a Patriot. And if you're not a Pats fan, this means absolutely nothing to you. But um, I do want to talk to you about this idea of, like, if you want to talk about a place that is built with unity in mind— you go to Gillette Stadium for a primetime home game, and, and you'll understand. So, like, as you walk from your car to the stadium, everybody is wearing Patriots gear. Uh, everyone is dressed up. People dress up like they're babies. Like, you, you've got infants dressed up. You've got dogs and animals dressed up in Patriots gear. You've got people with their faces painted. They're wearing, like, head-to-toe costumes. People have Patriots gear that you didn't even know was a thing. Like, I remember walking through the parking lot. I saw someone with a, with a Patriots Weber grill. I didn't even know they made a Patriots grill. If you go to the bathroom, like, Patriot Pat is, like, etched into the urinal porcelain. Like, that's how intense it is there. And so as you're standing in the stadium, a crowd of 65,000 people, and you watch as Tom Brady rushes in for a career-high 12-yard touchdown, the stadium just explodes in cheers. Like, the ground is literally shaking as everybody, as a collective body, erupts in excitement. Cannons are firing off inside the stadium. Fireworks are launching into the sky. Gillette, Gillette Stadium was built for that moment. Like, that's what it was created for. It was constructed so that people would be able to feel at home as a fan, that they would be able to feel culturally and emotionally at home rooting for the Patriots, that everyone would be able to see the glory of the Patriots, all the music that's being played is to amplify the glory of the Patriots. Everyone together as a community would be able to celebrate and appreciate the Patriots. Like, that's what Gillette Stadium is about. Mercy House, this is what it means for the house of the Lord to be built for unity. 
That what God has in mind for, for his church is it, it, not like an individual, isolated experience. You, you cannot experience what Gillette Stadium was built for by watching the game alone on a television screen. At least not in its entirety. And, and now that's not to put down the experience of those who are listening on our live stream or listening to the podcast. Like We know that there are certain cases that make it impossible for you to be physically in the space with us. And that was true for all of us a year ago when we were in lockdown, which is why we started the live stream to begin with. And hearing the word preached via podcast or video screen is certainly better than not hearing the word preached at all. So I'm not putting that down. But at the same time, I do think that we want to encourage those who are able to come and to join us in person. For those that are too far away to be able to come, we do encourage those people who are listening on to find a local house of God near you, if you can find one, and then to make that weekly, that weekly pilgrimage um, so that you can experience church in the context of community. And we don't say this to try to shame you or make you feel bad if you're not here, but the reality is, is you are missing out if you're not in this space. You're missing out on what David is singing about as he remembers his experience of being within the gates of Jerusalem, the collective unity, the fellowship that the city and the church was actually built for. But there's even more to the joy experience than unity. Look at these verses again. Verse 3, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. You've got this collection of people who call Jerusalem home, uh, which is really a gathering of people from all different tribes of Israel. There's 12 tribes in all, and each one is, is as unique and, and different, um, and they're all making the pilgrimage home to be together in Jerusalem. You've got people in the, in, from the tribes of Reuben, of Simeon, uh, of Judah, and of Issachar. You've got people from the tribes of Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali. And you've got people from tribes of Gad, Asher, Ephraim, and Manasseh. And these tribes were as different and unique from one another as, as if you were to grab 12 different biological families here at Mercy House. And while they may uh, have been different in some of the nuances of language that they use or, or the, even the tone and color of their skin or their hair, the, the, the differing philosophies, the different opinions that, that they might have, they were all united together in the house of the Lord. Now, this does not mean that they gave up their indivi individuality to kind of be assimilated into a single homogenous culture. They were one body with many very different parts. And each person would still be able to identify with their home tribe. And each tribe was known for different things. As you read in Genesis chapter 49, you see Jacob, the, the father of the 12 tribes, speaking some of the characteristics of these tribes into them. The tribe of Zebulun, they, they lived by the seashore, and they were really known for their prowess in fishing and shipbuilding. Issachar was known for their fruitful agriculture, their, their raising of livestock. The people from Naphtali were exceptional writers of songs and, and of literature. People from Asher were known to have the most delicious food. People from Dan would help provide arbitration and justice for all of the other tribes. Even Jesus had a unique identity within the nation of Israel. He was from the tribe of Judah. We just sang about this. This is a tribe known to be the house with the, with the fiercest warriors and exceptional leadership for all of Israel. And what's beautiful is that in the book of Revelation, as it lays out what happens at the end of time, and we see Jesus coming in all his glory, do you, do you know what his introduction is in there? And we just sang it. In Revelation 5, you see something kind of like a fighter's introduction into a boxing ring. If they were like, ladies and gentlemen, standing at 5 feet 11, 165 pounds of raw power, 
They don't say that in Revelation. But it does say in Revelation 5, 5, you see this. It says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Like, talk about a nickname, the lion of Judah. Even at the end of time, in all his glory, he still maintains this unique piece of cultural heritage as being from the tribe of Judah. And so there is beautiful diversity in the house of the Lord. That's a part of the joy and the gladness of experiencing unity together as a church. As a church, we've got engineers and dentists, CPAs. We've got electricians and contractors. We've got students and we've got professors. We have people from Nigeria, from Brazil, from China, from India. We've got people from Florida and like Southern California. We've got babies that were born literally like months ago. We've got kids entering into high school. We've got young adults starting their first job out of college. And we've got older people, right? We've got some retirees here as well. We have this incredible diversity here today because the good news of the gospel goes out to every nation, every tribe without any discrimination or bias. And that is beautiful. This isn't just diversity for diversity's sake, though. What brings joy and gladness is that in our diversity, we experience unity in worship together. Look at these verses again. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Like, that is the purpose of the temple. Jerusalem was built as a city for worship and praise of God. That's what it means to give thanks to the name of the Lord. And where Gillette Stadium was built to kind of showcase the the glory of the Patriots and to facilitate appreciation and enjoyment and the glory of Tom Brady for that season. The church is being built to showcase the glory of God. We're being built to facilitate the appreciation and the worship and praise of King Jesus. That's who we are as a church. And you might be asking, what's the big deal about worship? Why, why is it a big deal that this is a house of worship? Well, we were made as humans to worship. And without a relationship with God, though, that worship is aimed at other things. We might worship careers. We might worship a significant other. We might worship our children. We might worship money or safety or security, whatever that is. It's never a matter of whether or not we worship. It's actually just figuring out what we are worshiping. For those of us who do have a relationship with God, our worship is restored back to, it's redirected back to the source of worship that we were made for, which is God, our creator, our rescuer, our savior, our king, Jesus. Worship and praise of God is not only done on an individual basis either. There is this collective experience of worship uh, that we're called to participate in together, which honestly creates a whole new level of delight and enjoyment. It's how it was designed, just like other forms of praise. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, Reflection on the Psalms. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It, it is its appointed consummation. It is not out of a a, a compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of a road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. 
to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. There is special delight in praising and worshiping God alongside our brothers and sisters. Uh, A delicious meal is going to be better when you share it with the ones that you love as opposed to just eating it by yourself. It doesn't diminish the value and the tastiness of the food, but there is just something intrinsically better when you share it. it, There's joy in being able to share your experience of your favorite movie with somebody or maybe your favorite musician. Yesterday, I I smoked a a pork shoulder for eight hours, and it was really delicious. We made pulled pork, and the first words after taking the first bite was, what do you think it was? I was like, babe, you got to try this, right? It was like, it, it was like built into this. Like I had to share it with someone else. It wasn't sufficient for me to enjoy it and praise it just for myself. Mercy House, do not discount the value of corporate worship. Do not take for granted the freedom that we have to gather here this morning without threat of persecution to sing loudly to our God and Father. Don't forget either that there are those in the world who long to be able to just have one other person that they can speak to who is a believer, let alone being able to stand shoulder to shoulder in a giant room like this uh, with, with, with incredible diversity, singing and praising, worshiping our Creator all together. For David, do you know what was better than singing uh, this song to himself as he was on his way to the tabernacle? It was when he was within the gates of Jerusalem and he was singing all together with all of his brothers and sisters in unison as a chorus together because there was special delight in sharing it with his people. But it also united his people together as they did it. Worship is this common denominator that unites this ragtag community of believers that we have here this morning. If we could be perfectly honest, uh, most of us have no business being friends with each other. We don't. Uh, And I'm serious. Like, look at, uh, like, some some of you might get along just fine, and that's great. Uh, But for those who have been in the church, uh, we know that the majority of our relationships, and I mean deep relationships uh, that we have within the church, they're not rooted in us having, like, complementary personalities or or, or that we have, like, similar interests. In fact, I think for all intents and purposes, according to, like, Myers-Briggs and, like, the DISC personality test, you probably shouldn't be spending so much time with the people that you do here at church. Like, my Enneagram says that I shouldn't work with, like, half the world's population. (laughs) David didn't need a personality test. He's an Enneagram 6, by the way, if you're curious, to understand (laughs) and appreciate. He didn't need a test to to help him understand and appreciate that the ultimate identity that provided true unity uh, within the community with radiant diversity is being God's people. That was it. That's what it meant to be an Israelite. And sure, there were other parts of their identity, unique characteristics of their cultural upbringing, different gifts, different trades. But at the beginning and the end of the day, when the people of the house of Benjamin, the people of the house of Reuben, the the people of the house of Simeon, and the house of Levi, and the house of Gad, the house of Asher, and any other person in any other house stood within the gates of Jerusalem, they were all members of the house of the Lord. Mercy House, this is who we are as Christians who follow Jesus. And this is who we are as a church here in Amherst. We've been brought together as fellow members of the house of the Lord. We've been united from all parts of the world, every nation, every tribe, and all of our differences and similarities, all of our unique cultural experience, all of our perspectives, and all of our giftings to be a holy temple together for the Lord, a dwelling place for God. 
in order to experience the joy and the gladness of doing what we were made to do, which is to worship God together as one body here this morning. This is why we ought to be amped when someone says, hey, you want to go to church on Sunday? Church is the place where we get to experience a slice of heaven. It's just like Jerusalem for them, where, where, where Jerusalem was a slice of heaven for Israel. This is what we get to experience, where we get to experience true unity, where we get to experience beautiful diversity, and we get to experience corporate worship together of God. Let's read these last verses, starting in verse 6, and we'll finish out for the day. Verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. The song switches tune slightly in these verses. It moves from a place of great joy and gladness to, to a plea and a prayer. Um, and and, it, and the, the, the plea is to pray, specifically a prayer for peace and for security within the walls of Jerusalem. And so the peace, or shalom, is something that we've been talking a lot about. And the word for security here, it's less about protection from external threats. It's actually more closely uh, rooted to this idea of, of kind of this internal leisure or tranquility or rest. And so we have this exhortation to pray for the household of God specifically uh, for there to be continued shalom and peace, completeness and wholeness, but also that there would be security, that, that, that the city would be one that provides tranquility and rest for weary travelers. And so this reveals two things for us here, that one, there isn't always uh, shalom, there isn't always complete rest in the house of God, and two, that the prescription for when that's not the case is prayer. As a church uh, that's going through transition, I think this might feel especially pertinent to us. And I don't mean just uh, a transition of leadership as Pastor Robert has moved on, and so we're in the season of looking for the next lead pastor. Mercy House has been experiencing the growing pains of transition for years now. We struggle through this process of maturity. I think in most contexts, people arrive at an established church and it's relatively stable. That's probably the most common experience of people in church. The church I grew up in, Sudbury, Massachusetts, was established well before I was even born. It was planted, it matured out of its infancy, and then it was set on course. Not perfectly, uh, not without challenges, but steady, having weathered the process of maturity. But in our context here, we're a part of this household that is actively being built by God and is transitioning from years of being a church plant into uh, an established, mature church. And so a lot of this transition simply has to do with establishing systems and structures to help sustain and support all the people that get to be a part of this house of worship. And simply put, church is much different when you're just 20 people meeting in a living room as opposed to 200 people meeting in a million-dollar building. The heart of it continues to be the same. It's diverse people united together to worship Jesus. But just logistically, there are more mouths to feed. There, there are more people to care for, more gifts to steward, more needs to be met. And unfortunately, there becomes more room for people to fall between the cracks. And Mercy House, I say all this because we are not a house of complete rest or peace right now. For the majority of you, you may not perceive that anything is off. Uh, you, you may have heard about it or maybe heard it referenced to, but you haven't experienced it personally. 
But the reality is, is there are people in our church family that are hurt and who are frustrated, many of whom have experienced conflict and tension as a result of, of, of just poor leadership, inadequate leadership here at Mercy House through the years. I want to be the first to tell you um, from this pulpit on behalf of the leaders of Mercy House that, Mercy House, I am sorry. I am sorry, and, and, I, and I mean that as much as I can mean that. Like, I am sorry that I did not see certain problems that some of you saw so clearly for so many different years here. I'm sorry that I have not been more careful and more gentle in shepherding the hurting people of our flock. And I am sorry that we have just not been as sensitive to the growing needs of our church as it matures through the years. I want to do better in these areas, and as do all of the leaders at Mercy House, and by the grace of God, we will. (laughs) That's what we're setting our hearts to do. And these are not the only apologies that you're going to hear from leadership, but this is a place where we will start. And I share these with you along with uh, a humble request for two things. And first, for grace, (laughs) for lots of grace, as we navigate a challenging season of transition and maturity here as a church. Like the leaders, the the elders and myself, we're, we're flawed men doing our best to do an impossible task for which we have no prior experience. And so that leads us into my second request, which is for the same thing that David in the psalm is asking for his household, for prayer. Pray for us, Mercy House. Pray for us that we would have the wisdom, the maturity, the compassion, the nerve to lead in God-honoring and God-glorifying ways as we move forward. See, we're not unlike Jerusalem. Jerusalem was often not at peace. There was almost constant turmoil from outside and from within. As a city, Jerusalem has been attacked 52 times. It has been captured and recaptured 44 times. It has been besieged 23 times. It has been completely destroyed and rebuilt twice. And you can see why David almost prophetically exhorts his people to be constantly praying for peace in this city. So let's long for shalom Mercy House. Like David, let's long for peace with God and with one another. If you're sitting with us here this morning and you're not a Christian, if you're seeking community, uh, a community to be united to, people to be family with, people to be able to appreciate the diversity that you bring, we are so glad that you are here. Um, What we want you to know, though, is that the best thing that we have to offer to you is, is not community. Um, it, it's not a place to hang out. The best thing that we can offer to you is not our friendship or discipleship groups or prayer nights or even trivia nights. Like the best thing that we have to offer to you this morning is the good news of the gospel. It, it's the opportunity for you to respond by faith to what Jesus has done for you in order for you to have shalom, peace, completeness, wholeness with him. So if this morning you want to take that step and put your faith in Jesus who died for you in your sin in order to bring you into this family of God, know that you can do that right there in your chair this morning. We encourage you to do that. And if you do do that this morning, let someone know so we can pray with you, so we can celebrate with you, and then we can formally invite you into this family together. If you are a Christian this morning and you're hearing this and you just don't feel at peace whether that's at your job or at home or here in this church, I want to encourage you this morning. 
that yes, you can and you absolutely ought to be praying for and longing for peace where there is no peace. But remember that you have shalom in the one place where it matters absolutely the most. And that's not to discount whatever chaos is going on in your life right now. You could be on the verge of losing your job. You could be in danger of losing your home. You could be up on the ropes and potentially losing your marriage. You could be exhausted from losing sleep night after night after night, taking care of your child, and on the verge of just losing your mind. You could be in absolute anguish over how someone has treated you. Or you could be in absolute anguish over how you treated someone else. You could be anxious about a conversation that you need to have, anxious uh, about how you're just going to even make it to tomorrow. No matter what kind of chaos, anxiety, hurt, or pain you may have, the peace of God that you have with God, the peace that you can receive from God will overcome it, Mercy House. It will protect you in it, and it will give you nothing to fear. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and, the, and your minds in Christ Jesus. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I, live, uh, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Mercy House, may the peace of God rest on you and on this church. May we experience the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, a peace uh, that is greater than having all knowledge and all understanding of what's to come. Mercy House, this is not just some fluffy, fake kind of peace that the world offers. This is not uh, a distraction from real problems or a way to meditate your problems away. In Christ, we are given the tangible peace that he himself had inside of him. It's the same peace that withstood all of the temptations when Jesus was living in the flesh. It's the same peace that that let Jesus take a cat nap on a boat during a terrifying storm. It was the same peace that gave Jesus compassion as, as others mocked him and spat on him and beat him. It's the very peace that allowed Jesus to endure a horrific death on the cross, while at the same time enabling him to hold fast to his love for each and every one of us as, we, as he died the death that we deserved to die. Mercy House, even if you have no peace in any other area of your life, the peace of God alone is enough. There is no greater shalom than the shalom that we have in Christ. And he's given that to us. So let's take hold of that. We're reminded of this every time we take communion. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body, take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is my blood of the covenant. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. The meal represents our shalom with God. When you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you're actively acknowledging your need for God's grace. And you're resting in the shalom of God. What we're saying as we take communion is, God, your shalom is enough. Even though everything around me is a mess, even though everyone around me is a mess, even though I'm a mess, shalom with you is enough. Let's pray. Father, you are enough. enough. We confess that we are often not at peace, that there are plenty of things in the world that we encounter 
and interact with that would want to rob us of peace and rest. God, we thank you that you have paid an incredible price to give us shalom and peace and wholeness and rest. God, we pray that, uh, that we would be able to hold on to that, that we would be able to rest in that. Father, I pray for our church as we navigate being a church. God, there's nothing uncommon here, nothing that you've never seen, nothing that startles or surprises you, but things that nevertheless need to be worked through as a family. And so I pray that that would be the tone and the heart of our church family, that we would delight and be excited about coming on Sunday despite the challenges that lay ahead, but for the purpose of being able to experience unity and diversity and worship of you. God, I pray now as we take communion, as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, that we would remember the great cost of the shalom that we have in you, but that we would find great solace and comfort in knowing that we have peace and shalom with you. Pray for those who don't know you this morning, God. Pray that you'd continue to reveal yourself powerfully. Those would uh, be able to take the step of faith and putting their trust in you and the work that you've done for us. God, I pray for our family now as we stand shoulder to shoulder singing songs of worship and praise to you, that we would experience the heightened gladness and joy that comes with collectively singing songs of praise and worship to you. We thank you, God. We love you. We thank you that you love us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.